Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Palestinian prisoners in Israeli detention have taken a series of actions against recent restrictions. Prisoner rights groups say that Israeli measures amount to collective punishment. All prisoners are refusing to step out of their cells for their allocated yard time since February 5th, when Israeli prison authorities decreased the time and number of prisoners allowed outside. This was in violation of previous agreements between detainees and the jail administration, the Palestinian Prisoner Society Monitoring Group said in a statement on Thursday. Prisoners have access to five to six hours in the yard, also called fora, every day, divided into morning and evening shifts, but the duration has been cut down by more than half. The prisoners' movement announced last week that Friday and Monday would be days of rage. On Friday, detainees refused to return to their rooms following prayers in the yard. The PPS said authorities sent in special forces as reinforcements for any escalations. Prisoners are also threatening to hold a one-day hunger strike on Monday. Inmates at a prison in Acapulco rioted after dozens of prisoners refused to be transferred to a federal jail, and 20 state police officers were injured trying to restore order, officials said on Monday. The riot occurred Sunday, just before the start of the Mexico Open Tennis Tournament, which is supposed to be a showcase for the Pacific Coast Resort. Authorities said some of the injured officers suffered broken bones and head wounds. A private prison company will run a new U.S. pilot program that would place hundreds of migrants caught crossing the U.S.-Mexico border under house arrest, an approach that critics say is an extension of for-profit detention. BI Incorporated, a subsidiary of the private prison company GEO Group, will operate the so-called Home Curfew Pilot Program, a DHS spokesperson and two U.S. officials said. Immigrants enrolled in the program would be confined to their place of residence in the United States for 12 hours a day and monitored electronically while waiting for their court hearings. Reuters and other outlets reported last week on the new program, which will generally require immigrants to remain in their residencies from 8 p.m. until 8 a.m. The Biden administration has greatly expanded so-called alternatives to detention, such as ankle bracelets and monitoring via mobile phone. The selection of a private prison company to run the home curfew pilot shows how companies could retain a strong foothold in the world of immigration enforcement. U.S. President Joe Biden, a Democrat, signed an executive order shortly after taking office in January 2021, phasing out private prison contracts for federal jails to, quote, reduce profit-based incentives to incarceration and tackle systemic racism. So far, however, Biden has failed to deliver on a campaign promise to do the same for immigration detention. There are currently 21,000 immigrants in federal detention facilities, up from 19,000 on September 30th, 2020, before Biden took office. 
Eddie Gibbs recently became the first formerly incarcerated member of the New York State Legislature, representing Manhattan's District D. Now, the Assemblyman has co-sponsored a bill that will allow incarcerated people to receive student financial aid from New York State. Bill A2322 will repeal the ban preventing incarcerated persons from receiving tuition assistance program funding. Gibbs himself earned his degree from Cayuga Community College while incarcerated. The 1995 law banning incarcerated New Yorkers from receiving financial aid has been devastating to them and the communities they return to upon their release. Assemblyman Gibbs is working with members of the Democratic Conference in both the Assembly and the Senate to ensure $5 million are passed to restore the tuition assistance program funding for incarcerated individuals, as Governor Hochul proposed in her upcoming spring budget. Gibbs said, Receiving a college degree in prison was a turning point in my life. It made me realize that a better path was available for me and gave me the knowledge and skills to take that path. The goal of prison should be rehabilitation, and New York State must ensure incarcerated people today have access to financial assistance to pursue a college education like I did. Immigration and customs enforcement detainees from New York City and Long Island are on a hunger strike in an upstate county jail over alleged poor conditions and mistreatment by guards. The protest began Wednesday among roughly 42 detainees in the Orange County Jail, which in part houses people picked up on immigration warrants under contract with ICE. The detainees say that the conditions are bad and meals are often one slice of bologna with a slice of bread or pasta and meat that causes stomach issues. Access to medical care has been limited. This is something that's been bubbling up for a long time over a whole host of issues, says Perry McAninch, a lawyer for the Legal Aid Society. The most immediate issue is treatment by the guards, who are saying racist things and have been abusive and aggressive. It's also hard for people there to access a doctor. In an interview, the Orange County Undersheriff, Kenneth Jones, sharply disputed the allegations. I wouldn't want you to interpret this as some sort of Gandhi thing. They are complaining about the food in jail, he told the news. We're an accredited jail. They've made a lot of allegations, some of them terrible, but none of them are true, he asserted. Jones added that any racist comments by the guards would be closely investigated. We have a rigid discipline system. Our officers, if they engaged in that behavior, they know they would be terminated, he said. McCannage countered that he saw officers throwing away commissary food on a video feed on Thursday. These experiences are certainly real and documented, he said. It may just be the nature of ICE detention and situating it in a penal institution. That is the issue. In this week's episode, we air the final part of a conversation between Jacques from Focus Initiatives and Rodney Jones, known as Big R. Big R was a witness to the beating that sparked the 1985 Pendleton Prison Uprising. In previous episodes, they discussed the circumstances that led up to the beating, including a gang of white supremacist guards, called the Sons of Light, who perpetrated abuses throughout the facility. This week, Jock starts out by reading part of a former prison guard's statement, giving insight into the racist secret society that they say was at the root of the beating that sparked the uprising. 
So this was the common procedure. Like he said, open the Almost gate. the natural order thing. Shoot the gas in there, yep. uh, whatever it is. Get them discombobulated, if yep. you will. Yep. And then while they're trying to get their bearings, rush in beat and beat them. So that was common procedure. Yeah, natural order thing. Natural order thing. Okay, what other personnel down there were you aware of that were members of the Sons of Light? Well, let's see. Oh, I was told by Officer Boyd that Captain Jackson belongs to it, retired Lieutenant Stevens belonged to it, Lieutenant Murdoch, which has just retired about a year ago, Clan card-carrying individual, which openly will admit it. Officer, uh, I guess it would be Sergeant, Sergeant McClellan, which is next door neighbors to Barry Sands. I can go on with others if I had other names. I can sit down and, and study for you. Of the personnel that were involved in the shakedown of the MRU on the day that the riot occurred, do you know any men who were members of the Sons of Light? I don't know if they're, like I said, I know Lieutenant Wicker hates blacks with a passion because he's told me so himself. This is really what I'm trying to explain to you. They don't go around and saying, hey, here's my card, here's my address, here's $25. They'll leave the literature or something there just on your desk. If you want to belong to it, fine. It's not an open the door policy where you where you first come in, they jump you and, and want to hire you. So it's more of a secret society. Basically, that's what it is. It's not affiliated with the Klan, so it's easy for the Justice Department to pull records and such. They weren't able to find them, but they were able to find that they do belong to a secret group. Were you ever approached by being recruited about being recruited into the Sons of Light? Yes. By whom? Lieutenant Burke. Have you ever told anybody else this before? No, nobody asked. Did you have anyone else approach you about it? No. Do you know of any other white militant groups in the reformatory? I can't remember the names of them. If you have anything written down, then I can tell you, but there are several. So there are several groups comprised of inmates and guards. I can't remember the black groups that they've got there. So in prison, there's all type of gangs yeah. and different groups and different organizations within the inmates. A lot of times, some of the officers are even affiliated within the same type of groups that inmates are affiliated with. You know, that's not uncommon. But this officer, after he quit the facility over some time and felt as if it was safe to bring these things to light, gave a full, and this is just a piece, you know, there was a lot of damning firsthand information about what had occurred on that day and what was the culture of this prison within these groups. And if you notice the names that he used, all of those had a title in front of it. It was captain. It was Lieutenant, these are high-ranking officials. One was senior captain, above all. So with these types of positions of authority, yeah. it was easy to see if somebody who is joining the team and you don't necessarily do things the way we do it and you're kind of squeamish yeah. about seeing people's blood rush out of their head, you know, in that powerful position, he can easily have these individuals removed, taken off his team, and not another question asked. That's right. So. With these guys, the sons of, sons of light, as this officer brought out, that day on that uprising, and, you know, we're, we're, we're going to try to 
figure out exactly, because you told us some of it, but I want to hear a little bit more about what they were doing, not only to Lincoln Love, but did they do anything else to other that day? Yeah, like I said. And what was the response of the uh, inmates? Like I said, that particular day, we all got shook down more than once. It's actually when they came back for the third or fourth time, if I remember, that they was lined up at Lowmore Cell in particular. So when I go to the bar, I'm looking at Low. I call him Low. I say, hey, Low, man. It's about 10, 11 guards out here, man, with shields and helmets and hockey masks and all type of stuff. So Low said, man, what more can they take? They didn't already shook us down two or three times. When I first started telling y'all, we didn't have a lot of stuff, no way. I think I might have had one book. You understand? A pencil. I mean, I don't even think we had pencils, really. But we didn't have nothing. Underwear, shower shoes, maybe a T-shirt. Because in MRU, you're stripped yeah, of you, all your possessions. It, you, listen. Most letters from loved ones. They kept up in a some type of cage. You your see what I'm saying? Your clothing. Your shower stuff. When you come out for your shower, you got to get it from the guard. Right. Hey, I need a basket of uh, tin. That got your lotion, your soap, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're lucky you're keeping shower shoes, really. So it was unreasonable for them to even go in a cell hey man. a second, third time looking for anything anyway. I mean, think about it. If you limited, what are you looking for? You know, we didn't bend over and squat it. You know what I mean? You're coughing when you bend down. You know what I mean? You, you know, you can't even hide nothing. You see what I'm saying? So, man, you know, then it became obvious. Oh, this is harassment. This is targeting somebody. And boy, Lord and behold, we found out years later they was targeting that brother no more. He's no longer with us, y'all. He passed away in prison. You know. Was Lomar, was he close to getting out at that time too? No, Lomar he started had... out with a, a lot of time. Oh, he started out with a yeah, lot of time. But, you know, he he became to, like a jailhouse lawyer. He helped other individuals get out. You know what I'm saying? I know for a fact he helped about 10 people that I know. That you know. Personally. Right. You know, some people get out. So did Mr. Trotter and Mr. Cole, because after this, you said they were close to being released. Yeah, Trotter only had four years. And, so, and, and, and Cole? He had 20 and he had eight in. You only do 10 on the 20 back then. So he only then. had two more. About two more to do. From this uprising, did they get any more time? Because Trotter, of this incident? He's caught, I'm finna tell you. Trotter ended up with 142 years. He only had four. Uh, Mr. Cole ended up with 84 years. You know, and, 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 and from what he reading, you can see what came out in court. Trotter was getting his case overturned. New trial. The judge that was granting him a new trial, somehow or another, now he ain't on the bench. The new judge come about. The new judge sentenced that brother to another 122 years. And you know what he said at the end of everything? I had to have my brothers back. It's in writing. Did they kill anybody that day? Charter man, and no, man, it wasn't nobody got killed that day. Nobody got killed. That's why I say 40, 80 and 100 years. John Cole got 43 years in now straight. This is what I know. That's too long to be dead. 43 years? All, and now this is stemming, you know, from the time I think he started in 70, 78, 77. And as we speak today, I talked to him last week. As we speak today, he got 43 years in. Wow. So even with all this other information. I don't know what happened. I don't know why they ain't honoring none of this. You know, see, a lot of things, 
be political. I can come along and do something, you know, and maybe get this. Another political type of minded individual come along and then it's all type of red tape and this judge and got moved and the prosecutor don't want to do this. Come on, get a man another shot at life. He got 43 years in and he ain't the same individual. See, we was of a different mindset then. I know everybody in here probably at one stage of life was one way at life and now you might be at another way. It's mindset, they call that a mindset. You know, you said earlier about how people can make bad choices, you know, be in a bad mental space, Man. you know, have a negative influence, yeah. you know, from somebody that you actually admire yeah. in your life, yeah. you know, yeah. but their influence can be negative, even if they think, even in their confused mind, that they're actually benefiting. Right. You know, because right. I've had people in my life who, when when I was broken, busted, give me drugs so that I can make some money. So they thought they were benefiting me. They mm. thought they were doing something good because they wanted to help my situation. But little did they know, creating a, a, a terrible mix of circumstances that, you know, I'm just now, right. you know, right. turning around from. Right, you right. Know? So, you know, that that's common. But, you know, to back to what you were saying, there was one situation when I was in court, and this literally happened, the prosecutor was saying all this stuff about this terrible guy. And I had no idea he was talking about me. Right, right, right. <laughs> I had no idea he was talking about me. And I said, I told my lawyer, I said, he's got the wrong case, you know. And at the same time, he's lying to the to the judge, you know, because he's, he made a statement saying that there was this one guy who owed me some money. I took my money back from the guy, you know, a couple hundred bucks, nothing, took my money back and left. And he told the judge that I had a, a armed robbery yeah. with, 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 Tip uh, to kill and with, all with, 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 with serious bodily injury. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, he's got the wrong case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause this can make it your life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but he's just trying to beef it up because the judge, when he's speaking, and if your lawyer is a public defender, he's not going to go on a, a, a big fight for you. Hell, he don't know if the prosecutor is actually telling the truth because he hasn't reviewed your case to any significant degree. You know, that. and I'm telling him, I think this guy isn't talking about me, you know, but I was who he was referring to and I had to make my own objection. And then I was told to shut up because I'm like, your honor, this isn't true. What is yeah. <laughs> I thought he was talking about somebody else. I've never had a violent offense my whole life. Right. I've never had right. a violent offense. But to wrap this up, according to what you know about Mr. Trotter today and according to what you know about Balagoon, after the uprising of 85, what, how did that affect those brothers to how you understand? Well, like I say, when, after the takeover, it was about maybe 12 of us down there. Everybody got scattered. You going this way, so the administration moved all moved. you. Yeah, yeah, you know they're gonna do that. If if something takes place, oh, you, only thing you gonna remember is the brake lights on the bus. You don't know which way they went. That's all you gonna remember. I think they went that way, you know. But anyway, right. after that, like I say, Balagoon had got moved to the state farm. They had a special lockup unit waiting on them. 
Lincoln Love did end up coming back around us at Michigan City. They moved us to Michigan City. NSB, that's one of their big dungeon lockups too. But it ain't like the MRU. So when they brought Lincoln Love in, the one they had hit in the head, you know, set up, set up, maybe two or three days later after the. So one's like, hey, love, hey, low, you all right, man? You, you good? You straight? He could barely talk. And I seen a change in the brother maybe two or three days later. He could barely talk. He was depressed. No, the hitting the head. You know, that's the one that hit in the head. You know, he could. So his motor skills. Man, it enjoyed something. You see what I'm saying? Now, he was still trying to be low. He was still trying to be bubbly self, but he, I know him personally. So I seen a change. I said, man, low ain't, you know, I don't know, man. You know, it was a change. So through all that, they end up coming to get low again, taking him somewhere. And I and I ran across uh Balagoon again, ran across him on the on the lockup unit, you know what I mean? And now they gotta prepare for this trial. Going out here to Madison County at Pilton, where everything took place. And you you know, and like they were saying, like this 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 guard, particular guard, he trying to shed light on what's really taking place. But we fighting. Man, we fighting unjust, man. We fighting an uphill battle. If y'all already got these sons of lights in place, what chance do we have? Think about it. So, you know, they was, you know, I talked to Trotter, talked to Balakun. This is in passing now. They, they got to prepare for the, you know, what's going to happen to them. Trotter ended up with 142 years. He only had four. Mr. Cole ended up with 84, and he had two years left. And the man got 43 years in as we as we speak. Wow. And like I said before, that's too long to be dead. Think about it. So yeah, man, I don't, you know. And I talk, and I, and I do talk to uh Cole Balagoon, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, me and uh, some other guys, you know, he stay in contact with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Early on, we was getting a little money together for commissary. You know, try to support, you know, his mother and father is no longer living, same as mine, you know. You know, a lot of us lost our parents while we was in the prison. And we couldn't go to the wake or the funeral for the last time because of security reasons. I couldn't even carry my mother's coffin for the last time. You know, so everything was devastating, y'all. If I could, I have one more question. Just in your personal experience and your personal knowledge about this events and the criminal justice system in general, what do you think needs to happen to change these type of events from ever happening again? We need to start by getting some more positive guards. We need to start by, you know, doing better interviews with the, you know, you never can really detect what you might be getting ready to hire. You can't detect that because the, the motives might be hidden. You might have a certain type of agenda. You know, somebody, a prisoner could have did something to somebody in your family, and then you coming in, and now you see a chance to, oh, look at here. Right. You and with that down. kind of power, you said captains, lieutenants, they got a certain type of power in them jails, yeah. in prisons. Here's a little get-back time. You yeah. see, you know, you know, you got to start, man, job in audience. You got to come to work and do your job. I, let me let me tell y'all about this right quick. I'm at Michigan City Prison. It's this big old brother, God, big dude. You tell him you're lifting weights, et cetera, et cetera. 
He's hollering and screaming at the guy. Hey, uh, didn't I tell you? You know, he swolled up. So one day I approached him. You know, I didn't got a little older and a little wiser now. I approached him. I said, can I ask you a question, man? I said, you ever look at the news? Yeah, I look at the news. I said, you ever seen on the news where the, they put the baby in the microwave and kill the mama and everybody in the house? I said, them same people you hollering, screaming at, they right here. I said, so-and-so got 200 years. He ain't never getting out. I said, now think about if he get a bad letter or don't get a letter at all. Or his girlfriend say, well, I ain't fooling with him. He got too much time. I said, you around here hollering and screaming at these people, man. And they the same ones you done seen on the news. I said, but I'm going to let you in on something colder than that. He looked at me. I looked at him. I said, we let you go home. <laughs> he looked at me. I looked at him. So he was off that weekend. He came back that Monday or Tuesday. He pulled me over. He said, big bro, come here for a minute. He said, you know that conversation we had a few days ago? I said, yeah, I'm familiar with it. He said, yeah. I, was, he said I was talking to my, my wife. And, and you know, I'm going to still do my job. But maybe I ain't going to do it as, as rough and tough as I was. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, you know, you know I said, all right. I said, because you got to remember, we let you go home. So you might not make it back to the station wagon and the two kids. You, you see what I'm saying? And that, hit, that was a reality for him. Yeah. And I observed him after that job. Mm -hmm. And he was still, you know, he did his job. But boy, he wasn't doing all that hollering and screaming like he was. <laughs> So, yeah, I think, Jock, I think, you know, they got to screen them probably a little better. Mm -hmm. They got to just try to be better people. Right. You know, and, and that goes for all of us. Right. You know, like I say, I'm not sitting here saying I'm perfect. Right. I ain't going to mislead nobody. Well, looking back, I made some bad choices. Yeah. To, I remember what, what my parole officer told me one time. He was, huh, Jones. And, <laughs> he said, Jones, you know what? You act like, you know. I didn't really did you wrong. He said, I didn't go looking for you. You found me. This was my parole officer telling me that. And boy, he was right. I didn't admit it to him right then, but as I was left, and I said, boy, he sure said something that made sense. Mm -hmm. He didn't go looking for me. I found him. Yep. So, you know, sometimes, man, even as, as people ourselves, we got to grow. We got to make better choices, man. We got to be more productive. You know what I mean? We got to be better people. And when y'all leave here today, Whatever y'all do or whatever y'all say, just, just, just try to make it a better place. So we got to be better people, y'all. Yeah. yeah, man. It's it's truly a, a very trying yeah. experience. Yeah. It pushes you to your limits. I don't care who you are. It pushes you to your limits, you know. I'm so glad to have you sitting here, yes, sir, with me today, sir. I definitely am grateful for that. Thanks to everyone for their help with the show. John Cole Jr., known as Balagoon, has been on the show before. We'll share a link to that episode on our website. This conversation is part of a series put on by IDOC Watch and other organizations, including Focus Initiatives. We encourage you to check out their projects, which focus on inside-outside prisoner and reentry support. IDOC Watch has written several articles about the prisoners involved in this uprising and its aftermath, which we'll share on our website. You can also read about the 1985 uprising in Down, Reflections on Prison Resistance in Indiana. This has been KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. And if you want to financially support our work, you can become a supporter at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio. 
Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. Please check out our new searchable website with hundreds of archived shows at kitelineradio.org. After a brief hiatus, we're happy to report that our prisoner call-in phone line is back. Folks on the inside or their outside friends and supporters can call 765-343-6236 to record a message to be played on the air. Please share this number widely and we'll try to answer and air all messages possible. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.